0: Take two. Hey, this is Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio, and I'm pleased to be here at South Seattle College, formerly known as South Seattle Community College, uh, for a champagne tasting with uh, the director of the Champagne Bureau of the United States, Sam Heitner. Sam, welcome to Happy Hour. Good beer. Hey, um, really enjoyed today's program. Uh, you were in-depth, but also you didn't speak above anyone's head on what's happening in Champagne. Now, let's talk about your role as director of the Champagne Bureau of the United States.
1: Sure. I represent Champagne in the United States. My goal is to promote and protect the Champagne name. So one of the reasons we're here today in Seattle is to educate uh, up-and-coming chefs, trade, culinary students about where Champagne comes from. The wine, how, and so they can learn more and more about the wine that exclusively comes from the Champagne region of France.
0: I love it. And uh, here in Washington State, obviously, we have a, a, a growing wine region, and uh, we like, our commission likes to talk about uh, the five to seven billion dollar impact it has.
1: What does Champagne mean to France? Champagne uh, is like the Washington Wine Commission or California, is a major economic player in the region. In fact, Uh, Champagne has something like 4% of the grape growing territory in uh, France, but is about 31% of the exports in dollar figures of the entire country of France. And it's the largest export of wine from France. Um, Really? The Bordelais...
0: I would think, like, with their seven thousand chateau down there. Well, we
1: take uh, we we employ a large percentage of people in northern northeastern France. We also have uh, one hundred twenty thousand uh, hand pick uh, people come in to hand pick grapes in harvest time. Um, and as I discussed today, it's a pretty capital intensive business. I mean, there's the only you can only grow grapes in carefully delineated plots. Um, you have to follow very strict rules and regulations, all of which are designed. To ensure that the consumer knows that they get the highest quality wines possible when they hear the word champagne.
0: Yeah, champagne definitely has a brand awareness throughout the world and probably even further, I'm sure. Um, when you We're still working on the moon. Uh, 120,000 uh, workers coming in to harvest. Now, with the recent talk about the, uh, the immigrant population, uh, where do you find 120,000 people to help harvest champagne's grapes?
1: Well, interestingly, all the grapes in champagne are hand picked. Uh, during a very limited three, three and a half week period. But interestingly, there are some migrant workers who come through just like they do in California or Washington State. Seasonally? Seasonal workers. But there also are people who come every year. They go back to the same family. They pick with the same family. They have the same harvest dinner and harvest lunches together. And it's kind of part of the history of each and every one of these growers and each and one of these families. It's a holiday in Champagne where uh-huh. they obviously get some good wine along the way. But it's labor-intensive, but at the same time, Champagne has no plans of ever changing from hand-picked grapes. And we're willing to put the time and money and effort into making sure that each one of those grapes is picked
0: perfectly. Well, that sounds wonderful. Now, how do you uh, house 120,000 people for
1: three weeks? Well, we don't have quite the problems that American um, regions have in housing workers and that many of them are migrant and they move through with RVs, et cetera. But we do set up camps and places where everyone can be. And we do follow all of the local rules and regulations to ensure that Not only are the grapes picked, but everyone has as healthy and happy an experience as possible. That's in the long-term interest of the region.
0: Yeah, that's great to see, especially uh, with 120,000 people, that's a lot of orchestration logistics, I'm sure.
1: It is. In fact, we pick uh, by village and by varietal. So Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Meunier are the three primary varietals in Champagne. And you'll get a list that says this town you can start picking Pinot Noir this day, Chardonnay that day, Meunier that day, and the sort of mechanism moves quite quickly through the region uh, based upon that schedule. And then you have to remember that the grapes are pressed almost immediately. Uh, So we have 2,000 pressing centers around the the region um, so that the grapes are Picked at the optimal time and then pressed immediately to ensure their quality is maintained.
0: Now, are there tank trucks? I mean, you must employ a huge army of vehicles to help uh, manage this uh, 24-hour pressing rule.
1: It's a very exciting moment to be in Champagne. <laughs> uh, being in harvest in Champagne is, is a great opportunity, and we do have significant resources committed to champagne's harvest, which is amazing in that it's a three-week period, and then you don't use some of those resources for another. 49 or 48 weeks of the year, Um, but this is the primary crop of the region. Um, Only the grapes that come from particular plots can go into Champagne and everything from the initial clone that goes into the ground in the particular plot all the way through the production period, this time on the lees is all carefully regulated so that if you have to fulfill all of those regulations to earn the name Champagne on the bottle before it can be shipped to a great market like the United States.
0: Well, that's why uh, you have a great job because you, you are maintaining that brand image. And uh, when it comes down to champagne, obviously you mentioned the three noble grapes, Champagne, uh, Meunier, and Pinot Noir, but there are four others that are also permitted in the AOC. And you some of those grapes are?
1: Sure. I mean, there are... Th- seven or eight, I think, actually, that do appear, they're minor. Um, They are lovely, and they add some unique and interesting characteristics to the wines, but uh, the other day I had a Champagne that was 100% Arbain. That's a lovely experience, uh, but it is not the majority of Champagne. In fact, over 98 or 99% of the grapes are Chardonnay, Meunier, and Pinot Noir, Uh, and for those learning about Champagne, that's where I'd start.
0: Yes, good idea. Um, Now, there's also a very... Rare red wine produced in Champagne. Tell us about that. There are
1: a couple of red wines actually. Oh, there's really? There's Coteaux um, There's a Bouzy Rouge, um, oh. and there's a, a wine called Rassis, which is made in the Aube. Um, and they are made. I mean, Champagne comes from three grapes. Chardonnay is the only white grape. The other ones are Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier, or Meunier, which are red-skinned, or in French, black grapes. Out of those grapes, in certain years, certain producers will hold a portion of their grapes to make these red steel wines. They, again, are a curiosity within the region. They're not a primary production of the region. Um, but I think that they add some interest to visitors to learn about some of the local traditions. Um, before, I mean, Champagne region has been making wine for thousands and thousands of years. And so certainly we create a few products um, that are not uh, Champagne. But again, these, like Champagne, are carefully regulated by an AOC within the region and only certain places can make them. And for the most part, it's for domestic consumption.
0: (laughs) Well, um, because I haven't seen any of those wines over here in in the Seattle area, Um, but I have the pleasure of speaking with Sam Heitner, who is the director of the Champagne Bureau in the United States, and you're based in uh, Washington, D.C. I am. That's right. I remember that now. And how long have you been with the Bureau?
1: It's been more than 10
0: years. Wow, great. Good for you. And uh, you still, uh, you must be on that French diet because you're a very handsome, slender man. <laughs> you drinking lots of wine. Well, speaking of wine, I think it's time to dive into uh, a glass. One of my favorite producers, Bruno Payard. Tell me um, why, why you brought this particular wine to the marketplace.
1: Sure. I mean, we have, uh, at our tastings, we always pour wines from growers, producers, and from houses. Bruno Payard is a house uh, in Champagne, that is um, owned by Bruno Payard, was created in the 80s uh, by him, and much of the work is actually now done by one of his daughters. Um, And I think it is a wonderful example of uh, house-produced wine that is uh, straight uh, and typifies champagne's um, quality uh, and is a wonderful wine to present to people. Um, You have those lovely... Yellow color, um, yet it is not, and beautiful on the nose. Um, and I think it's a great example of a non vintage wine. Remember, 85% of all champagne shipped to the United States is non vintage. No, speaking, speaking of that,
0: non vintage, is multi vintage more
1: sexy versus non vintage, like you're leaving something out? I think that they both are speaking to the same idea, <laughs> in that we blend wines from multiple years and aim to have a consistent taste across those. If you have this Bruno Payard, Non vintage in three years or five years, you uh, went to the store and purchased it, you would expect to have largely similar taste profile, no matter what, whether there's a more acidic year, or a year that has more volume in the harvest, etc. And that's all, the art of blending. And I think um, this is a great example of a wine that feels very modern, yet also follows all of the rules and regulations of champagne and is the epitome of the description of how this house feels champagne should be. You're gonna find other champagnes that are non-vintage that have different profiles and they're based upon the product that they get from the vineyard and also their vision of what champagne should be. You may find some that have a higher Chardonnay concentration, you may have some that have more oxidation, different elements of what they believe champagne yeah. brings to the marketplace. And I, I
0: really enjoy Bruno Pauillard. I've had it on several occasions, and sometimes when you're in Vegas, that's what they pour by the glass. Um, <laughs> if it you're It sounds lucky like enough,
1: you do, you, you're living a good life.
0: A <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good life so far. Um, last question here for the interview is, uh, when you talk about non-vintage champagnes versus vintage champagnes, what should people really expect?
1: Sure, I think non-vintage is the workhorse and the solid basis for champagne, and it's where I would start. It's where the majority of them are, and you'll find different producers, different grower producers, uh, coming up with different versions of that, which help get, give you a good understanding for, for champagne. Vintages are designed to bring out certain elements that are specific or special about those years. There will be vintage in your non-vintages. Yes. You know, from good years, and uh, years that have high quantity will certainly be included in your, in your non-vintage. A particular year, 1995, for example, is designed to bring out certain elements that were that the winemaker thought were extraordinary in that year, um, but also there would be some 95 that would have gone into the non-vintage in years after that. And so um, non-vintage to me is where I start with Champagne. Vintage, rosé, uh, prestige cuvee, all of those other areas are lovely and certainly extraordinary expressions of Champagne, but they're all a... The next step after you've gone from the non-vintage, I'd then move on to the vintage. Okay, that wasn't my last question. Last question is, what temperature would you recommend uh,
0: most beginning consumers to dive into champagne now that the holiday's are year? That it'll be a very uh, popular beverage. What temperature do you believe is, is that right? range
1: I don't know that in Fahrenheit or centigrade I put it <laughs> into an ice bucket with water and ice for 20 minutes and I'm a pretty happy man um, right. as the room warms as the food is served because don't forget you can pour that champagne well into the meal um, the wine will then get a little warmer with the room and I think it matches particularly well don't pour it too cold that's
0: right that's i looking for. Sam Heitner, director of the Champagne Bureau, of the United States. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio.
1: Always a pleasure.